Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. That, that, that's what I said. Oh, that's really? Catherine exactly asked me the same question. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to University Challenge star and maths teacher Bobby Seagull. I almost feel like Davey's too formal. Like, hello, Davey. I think it's just DJ, right, DJ? Yeah, I think it is DJ. And his big brother, the artist and tech analyst, Davey Jose. You know, when you live with it, you don't really discuss it unless you're doing some psychological review, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> Welcome to but my podcast. <laughs> welcome to your captain's podcast. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. You know, like in school, they've got people doing like GCSE French oral exams. So I've, you've done yours and you're like, good luck now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bon good chance. luck. Yeah. <laughs> when I was getting in that wheelchair, I was like, ha ha, I'm Davy. I think I tried to imitate, like, oh, look at me. I like art. Oh, I like art. Oh, I like BBC Micros. I pretend to be Davy and smack into things. Sibling rivalry when we were young really helped with that. Bob was so far ahead of me in many things that it kind of forced me to accelerate. Like, oh, if Bob can do that, then I must do double that. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Bobby and Davy grew up in London as two of four boys. Two have Seagull as a surname after a book their dad liked called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And two have Jose after their dad. It could be problematic. I think once my mum and I were at airport and they looked at the passports and they like saw my surname Seagull and my mum's uh, Jose and they said... Um, this is your mum and I said no I'd, I've never seen her before and I think she got and this was about four or five and she got in trouble and she was in tears because I I, I didn't realise the impact you know that, that bad Bobby very bad Bobby the boys have always been close sharing a love of reading art competitiveness and football we talk about all of that and about privilege and perseverance too but Bobby started by describing the family circumstances surrounding his arrival in the world Davy would have been in hospital at the time. He had a car accident when he was very young, about two, two and a half. So my arrival should have been trumpets and a, an orchestra. <laughs> and there should have been a fanfare, but uh, Davy didn't give me that. I'm, I'm still upset about that. <laughs> the accident happened at a family friend's wedding party. It's after the wedding, after the church. Then we were at a wedding reception and I think I saw my uncle and my dad across the road and I ran towards them. And it was when you're two, you don't know what's going on. Then you got hit by a car, got tossed over, like one of those cartoon characters you see. <laughs> and then landed on my, on my head. And then I had a C1, C2 uh, spinal cord injury. So I think I spent the next year in, in hospital. So my first memories are of anything is in being in hospital itself. 
And I remember one day a little baby arrived in a purple baby suit. Mm-hmm. And it was my brother, Bobby. <laughs> I don't know one of them. It's, it's horrible to say this now. Thinking back, I'm slightly mortified. But when Bob was on the bed with me, all I could think was, oh my goodness, this, this child is going to take all my toys. And I remember <laughs> thinking, when I get the chance, I must push him off the bed. But I couldn't actually move. <laughs> so Davey and I growing up used to watch uh, a lot of WWF wrestling. So maybe that's why Davey had this sort of inner desire to like do a body slam on me. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just felt jealous, actually. You were going to nick his toys. I, I, I did that. Simple. I definitely did that. To be honest, I thought hospital was where I lived. So I remember when I went home for the first time, they said you can go home. I didn't know what home was. I was almost scared to go home, but I remember Bobby was there. And also another cousin had turned up, Derek. That was my kind of introduction to the real world. Wow, that's quite something. And for your mum to manage, have you ever spoken to her about how she navigated that? Because splitting her time between one baby in hospital, because you were still a baby really, and one baby at home, that's tough. Yeah, no, it must have been very tough. I have memories of these things. We haven't discussed it in detail because it's something you grew up with. You kind of, you know, when you live with, you don't really discuss it unless you're doing some psychological review, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> Welcome to but, my podcast. <laughs> welcome to your captain's podcast. <laughs> to, be, to, be honest, to be honest, that's a really good question. I think with our mum, she's quite stoic. She just gets on with things. She's very cheery, very positive. In fact, I think Davey and myself, we get sort of our bouncy side from our mother because she's always, she makes light of things and gets on with it. But have I spent time, it's a good question, have I spent time actually talking to her mother what it was like no, I don't think, I mean, we said, I think our mum occasionally reminds us, you know, it was very hard raising all four of you. And we're like, yes, mum, we know, you know. And mum's like, you know, you're brainy because of me. I'm like, yes, mum, we know, we wouldn't, so mom, <laughs> we definitely give mum credit. But actually, it's, it's something maybe after this podcast, I will maybe next time I speak to my mum, actually have a conversation about it. So thank you. It's all right. So I think my grandmother was of massive importance in the family. I, mean, I don't know how, it, if you know, like for the Asian families, the you know, matriarch is, is, is a big thing, right? Mm. Unfortunately, she passed away two years ago, uh, just oh, bef- before the yeah, year before the pandemic. But it was her, she was there at hospital every day with me for the whole year. Wow. And she would feed me, dress me, bathe me. I guess in this way, this allowed my mum to spend more time with my brother when he was born. So when he came home from hospital, rather than you coming home from hospital, he said that life began, really. There was you, there was Derek, and there was him. What's your first memories of that time? So Davy was very creative. But also, he, Davy loved leading things. One of my first memories is Davy setting up some sort of art club. <laughs> but he was, he voted himself a unilateral leader and dictator of this art club. But he was uh, very good because I can't imagine many young children, you know, pre, you know, again, nowadays young people get inspired by YouTube and seeing things on Instagram, TikTok. Like, oh, let's copy that. Whereas David just sort of his own mind created this art club and um, he would be the sole arbiter of someone if they would qualify for the club or not. There was all, always, you know, some activity was going on, whether it was uh, drawing clubs I used to host with my brothers and cousins because I was the eldest so I was kind of the lead artist the lead director of this sort of improvised <laughs> club I had you know. were you a bit bossy then oh absolutely I was a super bossy you know because of my spinal injury therefore I couldn't walk so basically to get anything done from a very young age I realized I have to basically tell people what I want right and that kind of practice came from having 
siblings around or my cousins around. If I wanted something, I would say, oh, I want to reach that over there. So I would kind of turn it all into almost like a Peter Pan or Lost Boys type adventure, you know? Oh, we have to go and get this from the cupboard. You know, march, you know, six or seven people together and get it. <laughs> so that's how I became fussy, just by learning that way. What kind of childhood did you have in Newham? What was it like, your household and and the sort of environment you grew up in? So I would say it was a very modest upbringing in terms of we grew up in a council estate in East London. Our parents actually moved to uh, the UK from India, a state called Kerala, a really beautiful place on the southwest of India in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, actually not too far from where we live now. We live in the sort of in the more plusher part of East Ham, as it were, but still East Ham. <laughs> it's weird. When you're growing up, you never think, oh, money was tight. As a child, you just experience the world as it is. But now as an adult, I think back, actually, yes, money was tight. We had hand-me-downs. I don't recall going on holiday as a family till I was the age of 15. But those things, it didn't seem unusual at the time. But I think the one thing that was amazing about our childhood was one the importance of family we spent lots of time with our siblings and our cousins but secondly the value of using our minds we would go to the library right our dad would take us to the library every weekend and we would just get books the children books right Waldorf books mm. and a Brighton books whatever their books we would you know get as many books as we could into the shopping trolley and read uh, but then we also, when we'd come back, we'd do things like watch football, watch Match of the Day, Blue Peter, Biker Groves. It was, a, it was an upbringing where there was a lot of sort of cerebral intellectual challenge, but lots of popular entertainment. Like we loved our Top of the Pops. And, and to be honest, I think telly back in the 90s was at its peak. I remember we, our mother once said, saying, you shouldn't watch Biker Grove. It'll teach you bad ideas about children. <laughs> so she, she, didn't, she didn't ban it, but she just didn't like, didn't approve of Biker Grove. I, sorry, Anton Deck out there, but uh, my mum didn't approve of you guys. <laughs> We weren't allowed to watch Grange Hill, so there. Oh, okay. So ours, ours as Biker Grove was the was the forbidden fruit. And but this is where normally at six o'clock, our dad would say six to eight is like quiet time, study time, do reading, your school homework, do your arts and crafts. But if he didn't turn up at six, our mom would often be a lookout for us. We'd extend our <laughs> our fun. So I think there'd be uh, the Simpsons on, then Star Trek. But then our mum would often give us a warning, Papa's coming back. And then we, Davy and I, to be honest, I would get away because I could run quickly to the next room and open up my books. But Davy obviously couldn't run as quickly, so he'd get caught. <laughs> what, what sorts of things were you not allowed to do? One of the questions we ask on this podcast is funny rules that your parents had about things that they thought, you know, would ruin you as children. I wasn't allowed to watch ITV um, in the 80s because it was considered kind of lowbrow compared to the mm. BBC. I wonder what funny rules you had in your house. Oh, that's a really good question. You have to think back to that. Uh, let's see. What rules? All right. So um, my brothers were not allowed to jump on the back of my wheelchair for a ride. <laughs> The thing is, like, if you're a child of five, six, and your brother's got this, like, amazing vehicle, like, obviously, you know, young people, they want to drive, like, cars and go on horses and rides mm-hmm. at, the, at the amusement park. I had that, all that there. Davey had a wheelchair. So I would, whenever, like, Davey went to the bath, I'd sit in his wheelchair, play around, try and do, like, wheelies and turns and, and spins. And obviously, that's it. It's forbidden. But when my parents were looking, I would say, guys, jump on the back. <laughs> and I ride around in the you know in the streets that was that, I remember that was a fun rule they were not allowed they're like you'll break this chair but I'm like no let's just do this let's just climb around I was like haha I'm Davy and I'm pretending I think I try to imitate like oh look at me I like art oh I like art and then I smack into the oh I like BBC micros I pretend to be Davy and smack into things 
Although you wanted to kick him off the bed when you first met him. (laughs) When you had that first introduction to real life with your cousin Derek and Bobby in the sitting room of your home, um, how did your relationship sort of develop from then and what was your kind of second impression of your little brother? I guess just the story was I went to a a special school Mm. and so our educations very early and were completely different. And so even though we would meet at home at the end of the day, we would never see each other in school, so I would go on the yellow bus in the morning. Mm. And my mum and my grandmother would take my brother Bobby, Derek, Colleen, Cedric, Frederick, all those other cousins, <laughs> uh, to school in the morning. Um, and our educations were quite different in the sense that the special school, I don't think we really followed the national curriculum properly. I think back then in the in the 80s, 90s, if you had a physical disability, they assumed, wrongly, that, oh, you're not capable mentally either. And that was, again, I think we're much more enlightened now. I'm a, I'm a part-time teacher and we give everyone the chance to succeed. But back then they were like, oh, Davey definitely can't do, read or write. Let's just leave him out. Let's just make sure that he can sort of wheel him around in the wheelchair. When you went on the yellow bus and all the rest of your cousins, that great long list of names, went elsewhere, did you feel jealous? People actually get very confused about this. My special school was actually awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. They were like kids of different types of disabilities, physical abilities, mental disabilities, or whatever they were. But everyone got on. Nobody thought they were better than anyone. We were all just friends. Mm. And to be honest, even to this day, I don't know what some of the disabilities were of the different friends I had. And so the point was, when I would come back home, I would tell Bobby, oh, Bob, today we had like swimming lessons. Today we had wheelchair races. We drew for three hours. We made some chemistry experiments or whatever they were for fun. And Bob would be jealous of the fact that he had to sit in a class and do exams. And I was in class having fun. Okay. Other way around. (laughs) Other way around. So my special school was actually the most amazing years. And then when I was around um, 12 or 13 or 14, something like that, my special school got burnt down. What? So then what happened is that the insurance money for the school went to put in a lift at, at another school called Eastleigh Community School. Mm. And I went to the school and I went to mainstream school the first time around 13, 14 years old. In a weird sliding doors moment, had the school not burned down, Davy would have just continued at school and perhaps, even though he'd be bright and creative, would never have had that sort of academic outlet. But he went to a normal mainstream school. I think it was one of the worst in the borough or the country at the time. But he started flying up from set nine to set eight to set three and to set two, set one. And I was getting like, oh no, this guy is, this guy is really <laughs> catching up. And then eventually I realised actually, I even though I'm smart, my friends would say, Bobby, you're really, really smart. Actually, Davey's, Davey's the smart, Davey's the genius in our family. So I'm just like a genius light. <laughs> <laughs> Academically, I was just, I, I could barely add two numbers together. I could barely write. And then at the same time, Bob was you know, three years older than me and he could do all these things academically that I couldn't do, right? Mm. And I was like, this isn't right. <laughs> and then what happened is um, over the next one and a half years, I just basically put my head down and just worked like really hard. Mm. And I caught up and then, you know, like in a couple of years time, I ended up doing... Uh, mathematics and computer science at Cambridge, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's some catch up. That's not just catching up. That's catching up plus plus yeah, plus. <laughs> yeah, but what what happened is with the sibling rivalry when we were young really helped with that. Bob was so far ahead of me in many things that it kind of forced me to accelerate. Like, oh, both Bob can do that, then I must do double that. You know, it, and it, and it forced me to 
work much harder, which I'm really grateful for now, you know? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So what, what, where did the ambition for academic excellence come from? Because Davey remembers being sort of horrified that you were younger than him, but further ahead. And he somehow found in him the grit and the competition to catch up and ace it. Um, but I'm guessing that must come from your household as well. There must be some sort of store set by academic excellence and trying your best. Yeah, I think with our father, it's always been a case of if you try your best and you don't succeed, that is fine. But he was never an advocate of, oh, don't bother trying. You know, sometimes people say, oh, just don't bother. That's not your sort of thing. Our dad would always encourage us to do so many things. We tried magic out. We tried um, music. Uh, we tried art. And obviously in academia, again, we would read lots of books. Davy and I, we'd uh, discuss things at the dinner table. Like, you know, got, like got a history book and we're chatting about the Aztecs and saying, oh, but Aztecs and Mayans, you know, was there any difference between them? Or they're just the same thing. Uh, so we'd have, I think it was that curiosity, which our, our father in particular fostered, um, that actually has enabled us to be the people that we are. There were hints of things when we were growing up. We would, uh, for example, for some reason, when I spent a lot of time in the hospital, um, I would have a pen and a paper. That's all they had in the 80s. There were no, you know, no iPads. <laughs> no iPads around. Right? Through that way, we sort of fostered a healthy competition. Like I would draw something, then Bob would try to draw something better. Or, you know, I had a the BBC Micro when I was a kid as well. Mm. That was something that I would take pride upon. I would like program. And I guess that kind of logical thinking of programming kind of set me up for the maths later on. Mm. So how did you then make that leap then, Bobby, from your school to Eton? Because that's, I'm guessing, quite It a is. Going from an East London council state where you're wearing Kappa, Adidas and Reebok <laughs> uh, to suddenly wearing a tailcoat and waistcoat and a starch attached collar and having someone like Prince Harry in the year below your school is a, definitely a leap. Um, but I remember I found out about Eton through reading the Times newspapers and the at the back one day, there's a little ad that said, are you a bright boy? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm bright. Are you from a state school? Yes, I'm from a state school. Would you like a two-year transformational experience? I'm like, yeah, this sounds like it. And I uh, filled out this form, 
stamp addressed envelope, been sent off for an application form, went for an open day. Um, and again, I, people often will now say, Bobby, what was Eaton like? But they think of David Cameron, Boris Johnson, uh, perhaps those who don't have such a positive, favourable public reception, and they think everyone in the school's like that. But actually, as a 16-year-old going to Eton, I went there as like a with a sort of a really positive naivety. And the school actually really embraced me, my housemaster, the dame of our house, my friends. You know, there's an element of I was a bit novel. I was the only mm. person from a non white middle class background in my boarding house but the only yeah, one yeah at the time now it's more diverse to be honest uh, so for some of my friends were convinced I was related to Gandhi but I'm like no I'm, I'm, I should have I should have milked that she said yes Mahatma Gandhi is my great grandfather but I did not milk that <laughs> and so what was that like for you then David you had this um, little brother in arms you're close in age and then there's the other pair of brothers and you're kind of doing a lot together and all of a sudden he hops off to Eton for a couple of years I was very supportive I thought this is amazing, Bob. You've got a full scholarship into this amazing institution. And I was very supportive at the time. What, uh, what sort of year was that, Bob? So I got the scholarship I in 2000. I was in the process of going to Cambridge and stuff. So it was 20 years ago now, roughly, right? So it's kind of a bit of haze. But I remember being very supportive. And I think when Bob had mathematical questions, he would come to me, right? Mm, Bob? By that stage, you were in your swing of things academically, intellectually. So there was a clear hierarchy uh, in the house. I, I I would come to you for mathematical help. Um, that helped, obviously, in the scholarship preparation. <laughs> so both of you, in fact, around about the same time, were having pretty similar experiences. You were going from East Ham to two of the most sort of rarefied and sort of elitist in- educational institutions in the country, one to Trinity Cambridge, one to Eton. People often say, is there like a natural gift in the family? And I, I'm not necessarily a big believer in natural talents. Of course, there are some, I think, like in any field, there are some people that are like standout geniuses. Because I think we are, inverted commas, have normal minds, but we've got a mindset that marks us out. Absolutely. And it's kind of your, kind of the, the people around you and the influences that you have as well, isn't it? It's kind of like everyone works hard. But it is also, I mean, you know, if you're lucky enough to have the people around you to support what you want to do as well, isn't it, Bob? Mm. And did you did you reflect those experiences to each other? I'm just wondering, like, because I'm not saying they have to be difficult, but they must have been quite extraordinary. When you sort of tipped up in Eton, you're like, OK, great, top hat, check, <laughs> starch collar, check. And David, you tip up in Trinity, which is a beautiful and quite imposing building. I'm sitting not very far away from it now. Mm-hmm. Did you exchange, well, you could email at that point. Did you exchange emails or phone each other and be sort of say, you'll never guess, like formal dinners, grand halls, top hats, waistcoats. Were you having those checks? I think postcards. Uh, I think, David, I remember, I actually found some scattered in our family ham, a home in East Ham. I was going to call it Family Ham. Yeah, East Ham Family Ham. <laughs> um, the, I used to send postcards to Davey. Um, and I think likewise, I got some postcards from Davey, from Trinity to Eton and from Eton to Trinity. I think we did all the postcard things when we were kids. Yes. We used to like entering competitions because I guess you couldn't really ask our parents to buy postcards at our age coming from a family with not much financial means. So we would basically collect the cardboard from cereal boxes and cut them up into postcards and send them off for like you know dozens and dozens of competitions right Bob yes it was very <laughs> and to be honest we, we probably won a higher than mathematical 
slightly sort of proportionate number of competitions to the ones we entered. And that might be because normally when you sort of send a postcard for a competition, it would be like a picture of London or a picture of an otter, whatever it could have. But ours was like half a packet of cornflakes or shreddies or frosties. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what is this? Why is there a, why is someone put a cornflakes box? Ah, okay, it's a postcard. So we had like innovative postcards. <laughs> what sort of competitions were you entering? These things in like the back of the Beano and stuff or pretty much anything like honestly this is one of the things one of my attitudes in life and Davey as well is that we generally say yes to things and then think about oh dear why did I accept that so we will say yes to things and worry about the ramifications so with competitions I wouldn't pick and choose I'd be like enter everything and that that mathematically increases your exposure to luck and serendipity so I'd want things like a doll's house and again, boys can play. Boys hilarious. can play a doll's house. Absolutely nothing yes, wrong. But I, I, I had no interest in a doll's house. <laughs> but I won it. I was like, oh, what do I do with this? I'm not sure. Can you remember that happening, Dave? You remember it arriving? Oh, 100 percent. It was huge. Massive. It was like half living room size. Yeah, exactly. So, how would you describe Bobby now? Then, obviously, you're both bright boys, equal and you know to each other's intellect. What's his character like? Oh, Bobby's incredibly smart. I mean, I thought what Bob when I was a kid that Bob was a genius. Uh, and I think Isn't still he? Think, I think he is. I don't know. No, I think he is. He's very attentive. He listens well. Um, I guess he's a very, very smart character, right? What was your relationship like then, you guys? It sounds like there was a lot of fun. Did you ever fall out or round? So I think, funnily enough, uh, Davey and I, we, we got on well. But sports and football, Davey's a... Again, I don't know why. We're from East Ham. But Davey supports Tottenham Hotspur. I support West Ham. Because one of the things we used to do as kids, we used to, uh, you know, there's Guinness Book of World Records and things like that. Oh, yeah, such great books. Basically, what would happen is uh, in this football book, uh, I would identify Tottenham as one of the most successful uh, football clubs in Europe from British football history. And therefore, I would say, Bob, it's your turn to choose a football club, but you can't choose Tottenham Hotspur. So then he would choose West Ham. So we had a kind of rivalry that way. To be honest, football arguments got quite vicious. To be honest, even at the age of 16 or 17, Davey ended up getting in to do uh, maths at Trinity College, Cambridge. And I actually wanted to go to Cambridge to do maths. But because of an argument about football, and I genuinely can't remember what it was, maybe a transfer rumour about some Spurs and West Ham players, I said, I'm not going to apply to Cambridge. I'm going to apply to Oxford, which I did for maths. So it shows you that football was a... <laughs> Was that a weak point? But no, that that rivalry. But yeah, your question was, what's Bob today like? Yeah, he's a you know incredibly good guy. <laughs> how else would you describe him then, as well as being a genius? What how what's his character? I think like? Davy's got this incredible perseverance and this attitude of he can do anything. The reality of the world is everyone, no matter how how much privilege you have, that you have to encounter and overcome difficulties. But Davies, not just relatively, absolute in terms of an absolute terms, is a a real physical hardship. He has to rely on other people to make his food, to to bathe him and change him. Get, you know, if he needs a pencil, someone has to go and get it. He has his mobility in his right arm now, and that that's all the others he doesn't have mobility. So for someone to overcome that, because it can be very easy in that situation. You know, I've had times where I've been ill for a few days, like man flu. And I'm like, oh man, I feel so bad, I can't go out tonight. But like, you know, I'm like, what imagine what Davies had to go through. And I think it's helped us because it's made us made me feel 
really fortunate like ah okay maybe i live in a council state maybe i don't go on holidays like my friends maybe i have to wear the same clothes that my brother does but actually i can walk and i can run so in a bizarre way davy having his disability actually i think has made me understand the role of privilege in the world a lot more and you you know you mentioned your accident described it that must have been a, a seismic moment for your family but uh, um other than that describing it you haven't told me that it held you back or made you sad or impacted the family negatively or caused a problem between you and your brother. So there's some special source in the um, family makeup that means you've managed to create and maintain a very positive outlook. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think our philosophy, I guess, instilled from our parents, you know, bad things can happen in life, but there's two, you know, there's different ways you can react, right? Mm. My dad actually has this concept of victim or creator so things happen to us in life um, and if i can say the word uh sh star t that happens i'm a teacher i don't like swearing but it's how you respond to it and with davy so i think davy's found an inner strength to find opportunity where others would see actually disadvantage um that's how we've kind of been raised you know what would you say um, Davy's role is in the family? You know, in families, you have like the clever one, the organised one, the clumsy <laughs> one, the fun one. What's his role? Davy's the gaffer. <laughs> OK, so I'll give you a funny story. So one of my cousins was going out with this girl a couple of years ago. And then she, she messaged me and she said, oh, can I speak to you? So I found her up and she goes, oh, your cousin told me that I must get in your good books uh, because basically you're considered the godfather of the family. So I, like, I did not know my cousins thought of me like that. Like we used to have our, our grandmother, we used to call her the boss. Um, sadly, she passed away, but Davy's like inherited that. Davy's the person that will organise, orchestrate, plan. He's like the Sir Alex Ferguson of our household. <laughs> Without your approval, nothing will happen. So that so goes back. I, I bet you quite like it though, don't you? Yeah, I know. I don't mind being a Marlon Brando type character, you know? <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> Here's an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. And what do you think Bob's role is then? Bob is kind of the glue, the social glue. Um, he will bring up interesting facts, interesting figures. He will start games, playing music whenever we are together. If we struggle to find things to say, Bob will always bring up or some some interesting football anecdote or some something about Strictly or you know, something that's happening in the movie world. Generally, I've always been a very affable person. I don't like confrontation. I've never liked, I mean, to be honest, I probably, as a teacher, sometimes you've got to deal with it. If a student's being rude and not doing their homework, you're going to have to confront them. So I've learned to do it in a sort of manageable way. But generally, I'm always the person that gets on with everyone. I, I, in another life, I'd be a UN diplomat. I think I'd be very good at it. I think it can, without bigging myself up by bigging you up, I think it can sometimes be a middle child Ooh. characteristic maybe yeah that's a good point actually i'm thinking about my other families actually i think you're onto something this sounds like a phd research topic or a book <laughs> i asked you to describe each other and you were both very complimentary but the sweetest thing i thought was that you both sort of conferred <laughs> the title of genius on each other and said very <laughs> <Okay>. clearly <laughs> that you weren't the genius but the other one was so i mean are we going to settle it or <laughs> um it depends okay it depends what, our, what the topic is if it's uh if it's maths i'll defer to davy uh, no, no, that's the way, that's the way, that's oh, really? No, 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 I still go, if I have, like, yeah, if I have math problems, like, challenging, like, A-level university type problems, I'll still double check with Davy. If it's on general knowledge quizzing, I'll take the title. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we'll split it. Yeah. <laughs> I had one more question and now it's completely gone out of my mind. Oh, yeah, can you think of a piece of music that would take you back to your childhood in a happy way? 
Oh, this is good. So apart from the biker grove oh, team, biker, 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 biker <laughs> grove. Yeah, and there was also that weird laugh. No, that was yeah, that weird. was very, <laughs> a bit strange. So a okay, another thing. So like brass salt, salt and pepper. <laughs> salt and pepper actually. If you like the eighties, I I, yeah. I wish I know I was, I was born in eighty four, but I wish I'd grown up in the eighties. And I just yeah. love the eighties. Uh, yeah, salt and pepper, push it. It's a good, it's a good it song. Is. Let's face it. Oh, uh, let me see. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna choose something different. I'm gonna choose uh, the song from Pinocchio, <laughs> "When You Wish Upon a Star." That takes me back to the eighties. <laughs> Why that could, song? Well, it's kind of like, um, you know. Pinocchio was a, a wooden puppet, right? And he wanted to be a, a real boy. And it's kind of like having a dream, you know, when you have something that is difficult or obstacle in the way and that, you know, if you if you wish, but you add a bit of hard work in it, then you, anybody can achieve their dreams. Thank you to Bobby and Davey. Thank you too for listening. Uh, I remember our dad bought us a whole like twenty volume encyclopedia Britannica for children. I remember Bob and me sitting there reading and exchanging pages. It's kind of come from that. I remember things like you'd open up Delaware and they said there's two D's in Delaware. Capital the, the letter D and the Dupont Chemical Family. And the next thing I know, Bob was on TV and you know, then he had his Monkman and Siegel, you know, TV show and and it was really fun to see what was going on behind the scenes you know you must have been proud of him oh absolutely 100% thank you too to Tanita Tikram who let us use this amazing song sound design is by Nick Carter at Mix Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths this episode is the last one in season two Merry Christmas and we'll be back in 2022 to see some really sweet pictures of the boys or to listen to some episodes you may have missed in season one or earlier on in season two do head to relativelypodcast.com There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you Feel safe inside, only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do enough for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 